0: Take a minute to visit rachelcarman.com and join the community of real refreshment listeners who are taking the dare to be in the word as a top priority in the journey of motherhood. All right, let's kick off this latest episode of The Real Refreshment Podcast. Here's your host, Rachel Carmen.
1: Hello, everyone. We are right there at the end of the Gospel of Mark. We have two more chapters and a conclusion podcast. So today we're going to tackle Mark 15 right after this.
2: Is it hard to spark meaningful conversations with your kids? Whether you're a homeschool hero, planning activities for the next family vacation, or simply gathering around the dinner table, we've got something that can help. Introducing the Daily Family Conversation Starter by bestselling author Katie Clemens. This remarkable book offers 365 imaginative ways to connect with your children in just five minutes each day with prompts like, who made you laugh today? Or what would you do if you had a tail? These simple questions open up a world of laughter, curiosity, and deeper connections. From dinnertime to sleepy time, the Daily Family Conversation Starter is your key to creating memories that will last a lifetime. Don't wait to transform your family's daily routine into an adventure of discovery and fun. Grab your copy of the Daily Family Conversation Starter today, wherever books are sold.
1: Okay. It is time for us to do Mark chapter 15. We have come so far in our study of Mark's gospel. You'll remember that we did a study of the apostle Peter and that led us into Mark's gospel primarily because we know that it's Peter's voice behind Mark's gospel and it's just so clear when you know that because the word immediately is used over and over and over and over in Mark's gospel, which Highlights Peter because you'll remember how rash he was. And yet, his story arc is amazing and so encouraging because we see him come in really very immature and we see him become mature. So if you missed the whole study of Peter, go back. And pick that up. There's study guides for that series and for our Mark study series are over at rachelcarman.com. So you can go over and do a deeper dive than we're going to get to do today. The teaching I do here on the podcast and the downloadable PDF study guide complement each other. They don't cancel each other out. They're different. So there's as much as, as deep as you want to go and even deeper than we can do in our own time. Remember, my objective is to show you that Bible study is something that yes, you can do. And the model that we've taken for the book of Mark has been very simple. And that is just a close read of the gospel and just leaning into the teaching of the Holy Spirit, prayerfully seeking what He would teach us through this time, and reading the book of Mark very, very closely and carefully. And so it's my desire to ignite your desire to want to get into the Word of God and lean in and learn and marinate and really come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and the God of the universe, and be taught by the Spirit, that would be a win win, I believe. And I'm coming to you today, just to step back for just a minute, in a brand new studio setup. So, I usually used to have my board over here on the right-hand side, <laughs> now it's on the left, and so I'm a little discombobulated, but we're going to make this work. I'm pretty excited about this new setup, and I'm hoping that the audio is clearer and all of that, but that that means that there are changes, so I'm going to have to adjust a couple of things I can already tell, but I'm very grateful for This new space for us to be in so that we can have it more designated and set up more permanently. Anyway, let's look at Mark 15. I adopted someone else's outline for our study. I think that if I had outlined the book of Mark for our study together, we would probably be in it for a lot longer than we're going to be in it because there's so much here. And actually, I'm going to tackle 47 verses. It's the entire of chapter 15. So there is so much packed in here. I invite you to listen in, take notes if you want to, again, get the study guide and dig in deeper on your own. All through Mark, we've been talking about the significance of the verbs. And one of the things that we talked about, have talked about is that In Mark, we get this picture of Jesus on the move, the servant-oriented Son of God. That's who Jesus is. And we have all of these verbs associated with the things that Jesus did. We see people coming to see Jesus, but we also see Jesus going to meet people. And we see him very active. And I believe that that is a reflection of how we're called to be. We are not to have a passive faith. We are to be active and engaged in the community around us and our homes and our marriages. That's what it looks like to follow Jesus is to be active as he was active. And so each time I've called your attention to the verbs associated with what Jesus did in that chapter. Now, interestingly enough, here in Mark 15, spoiler alert, this is the chapter wherein Jesus is actually crucified. And so in this chapter, I'm going to go over the list of verbs that talk about what Jesus does in this chapter. But more interestingly, I think, is the list of verbs associated with what was done to Jesus in this chapter. And they're both quite interesting. And so we're going to go through those two, and then we're going to get into the text. So Jesus in Mark 15 answered. He made no answer. In other words, he was silent. He cried out, he withstood, he groaned, he breathed his last, and um, he was buried. Now, that actually, the last one should be in the next list. But here's a list of verbs associated with the things that were done to Jesus. He was bound and led, delivered, questioned, accused, scourged, handed over, taken away, mocked, beaten, spit upon, led away, brought, crucified, insulted, abused, mocked, taken down, prepared, and buried. So lots of action in Mark 15. This is like the climax of the story or the pre-climax of the story, because I think it actually climaxes in chapter 16. But here is this shocking event that takes place. You'll remember that the disciples really thought that Jesus had come to set up his kingdom here and now. That's really what they had thought. That's really what their, lo- their hearts longed for and hoped for. Because the significance of the Roman oppression upon God's people, they were feeling it. And they were so excited. You'll remember that one of the disciples said, we have found the Lord. We have found Messiah. And they were very excited about that. And you'll remember... In our study, Peter said, look, we've left everything to follow you. Everything. We've left everything. We've stepped away from our obligations, from our jobs, from our careers to follow you. In other words, we're banking on you being who we think you are. And here's the deal. They weren't wrong. Jesus is Messiah. They were right about who he was. But they didn't understand what he needed to come and do on his first advent. They, they could not get hit their heads around why Jesus came the first time. You'll remember in chapters 8, 9, and 10, he prophesies, he tells them what's going to happen. And they just can't take a hold of it. It is so different from what they thought Jesus was going to do. And frankly, it's so different from what they thought they were going to be a part of. You'll remember also that the disciples on more than one occasion were arguing about which position and what place they would have in his kingdom, because they wanted to be on his right and his left. They wanted to be part of this revolution that they believed he came to lead. And you can see in those conversations, almost, you can almost see Jesus just shaking his head going, "Mm, yeah, not this time, guys, not, not this time. And so we get here to chapter 15. And again, if you're just joining us, I'm going to ask you to go back and pick up because you're really, you're really coming in a rough spot. I mean, welcome, but make sure you go back, Right. We're here in 15, and we pick up the story early in the morning. Jesus is before the council, and this is what the religious leaders have been building to through the whole narrative. So you can study Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, different perspectives, different target audiences, different pictures of Jesus, one cohesive story, all four Gospels, complement each other they give us four perspectives on the same life right and it would not shock you for those perspectives to be a little different from each other because they have different objectives in the retelling they're different people with different backgrounds retelling the story for different purposes right so, critics of the four gospels use the differences in those narratives as a point to say, see, they contradict each other. This isn't the same story. These are just stories. This was not real life. But it is real life. You know, you and I could go to the same event and you and I would probably have different points that we would not agree on about things happen. We could witness the same thing and not remember the same thing. And that's what we see here. We see these different perspectives on what happened. Different authors included different parts in their narrative. It's remarkable. But I challenge you to study all of it, right? So again, here in 15, it starts 15 chapter, uh, verse one early in the morning. So here we are at the climax. The religious leaders have been seeking how to arrest Jesus. They've been looking for opportunities. They've been ticked at him for a long time. How can they take him? How can they arrest him? What can they accuse him of? What can they get to stick all of that? And so they have finally taken him into custody And here he's bound and he's delivered to Pilate. And Pilate asked him this question, are you the king of the Jews? Okay. Well, that is the question, right? Because that has implications because that would imply that Jesus was setting up a rival kingdom against Roman authority. So that would be an issue. And that's what the religious leaders are trying to say. And Jesus' response is very, very simple. You can read it in the end of verse two. He simply responds, In your Bible, it may have, it is, in italics, I'm using the N-A-S-B, it is as you say, Jesus responded. So Pilate asked, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, it's as you say it is. And that's the last answer that Jesus gives to Pilate, which absolutely shocks him because the religious leaders continue with their accusations. They are just enraged. And Pilate is like, "Uh, are you not going to answer? Don't you have anything to say? And Jesus was silent, absolutely silent. Look, here's the deal. He had answered the most important question. There was nothing that he could say at this point that was going to have any kind of influence on what the religious believers, that religious leaders believed about Jesus, who he was, that he wasn't going to be able to top them off of the ledge. And besides, this is why it came. This was his moment. He answered Pilate, and then he didn't say anything else. So before we go on, I want to challenge you to lay side by side the Mark 15 chapter with Isaiah 53. In your free time, if you want to do a study, because remember the Old Testament major prophet Isaiah prophesies about the suffering servant who is Jesus. And you can go through his prophecy there in chapter 53 and you can lay it aside. Mark's account his writing from Peter. And this is one of the points, it says in Isaiah 53, 7b, that Jesus was silent. He did not answer. And it says here that Pilate was amazed. I mean, you can just imagine how upset the religious leaders are. And they are just slamming Jesus and coming with all these accusations. And he's just standing there. And Pilate is, it says in scripture, he was amazed. He was just like, whoa. Jesus was confidently humble. He knew who he was, and he knew why he came, and he knew that this was his moment. And so he stood there confident and humble. And then Pilate asks the mob, look, it's my custom at the festival to release someone to you. Do you want me to release the king or a killer? He gives the mob a choice. He gives the people a choice. Who do you want me to release to you? And they choose Barabbas, the killer. They don't want the king. See, the religious leaders work the mob up into a lather, right? And and this is another interesting study of human nature. And that is, how do we behave in a mob context? surely. Over the last several years, we have seen that a mob context can be very deadly and detrimental to culture and society and to people's property and even to th- to their lives. Mobs are not generally positive things. And here we have the religious leaders inciting the mob to ask for a killer, for Barabbas, instead of their king, instead of King Jesus. And in fact... Pilate goes on to ask, what do you want me to do with him? And they're like, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Wow. Wow. And so it says here that Pilate's like, why? What has he done? And yet the mob didn't even answer the question. Because you and I know the truth. He hadn't done anything. I mean, he threatened The religious leaders, and Pilate could see that so clearly, he realized that the only thing motivating the religious leaders to get rid of Jesus was their envy. They were envious of him. He wasn't guilty of anything, but they were envious of him, and they wanted to get rid of him. And so it says that Pilate handed Jesus over to be scourged, which is a horrific process of torture where Jesus was whipped, right? And then he handed him over to be crucified. Now we're going to take just a brief break and we will pick up in verse 16. Is it hard to spark meaningful conversations with your kids? Whether you're a homeschool hero,
2: planning activities for the next family vacation, or simply gathering around the dinner table, we've got something that can help. Introducing the Daily Family Conversation Starter by best-selling author Katie Clemens, Katie Clemens, Don't wait to transform your family's daily routine into an adventure of discovery and fun. Grab your copy of the Daily Family Conversation Starter today wherever books are sold.
0: What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, Social justice, our national monuments, and more—the Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at Museum of the Bible org slash impact.
1: Okay, after Jesus is scourged, and I think it's really important to note that that process would not have only been incredibly painful. Um and torturous, but it would have ripped open his back. It would have turned his backs into his back into ribbons of flesh. He would have lost a lot of blood and he would have been in agonizing pain. There were prisoners who actually died in the process of being scourged. And yet Jesus survives being scourged. And then it says in picking up in 16 through 21 that the soldiers took him away. So as as though that's not enough, right? The soldiers take him away and they start mocking him as the king. It says in 16 through 21, you can go back and read it, that they put a purple robe on him, a crown of thorns on him, and they mocked him by bowing to him and saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they beat him and spit on him and knelt, and they bowed down. I mean, this is this is horrible what they did to him. And yet, I, I remember being a little girl. My dad was a preacher, and I remember when dad preached a sermon. And I don't know how old I was, but it was so significant. It wasn't something that I forgot. He talked about the significance of the purple robe that they didn't just use it as a point of mockery for Jesus, but they put him put it on him. Now remember what I said a minute ago about his back being laid open through the scourging. So they put this robe on him and they're beating him, pressing that into his back where he's just being beaten. And then it says that they took it off of him. I mean, like ripping it off that open wound. I mean, this is more excruciating pain, more excruciating pain, more blood, more agony, more torture, right? And it says they led him away. Now, I find it interesting, and I, I, I really wish, this is one of the parts of the story. There's many parts of this particular story we're going to look at at the end of our time today. It says, they led him away to crucify him at the end of 20, and then in 21, it says, they pressed into service a passerby coming from the country, Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus. To bear his cross. See, Jesus was in such a weakened state at this point that he couldn't carry his cross. And here's this guy. Simon of Cyrene. It says a passerby. I I get the impression he wasn't in the crowd saying crucify him. I don't even get the impression that he was watching the scourging. I don't think anybody but the soldiers were involved in the mockery, right? At least the initial mockery there with the robe and the crown of thorns. This Simon guy just came in from the country and they like grab him and say, carry this. Boy, there's more I want to know about that. I want to know more about Simon of Cyrene. Picking up then in verse twenty two, we have Jesus brought it says to the to the place Golgotha, which is translated the place of the skull. And it says they tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh. So this would have been sort of an analgesic. It would have been something, hopefully, maybe to dull the pain that he was already in, that he was about to experience. Because you got to know, he's already in intense, intense pain. He's dehydrated. He's lost a lot of blood. Many scholars believe he was past the point of reconciliation. He was past the point of recognition just because of all the beating that he'd already endured, all the blood, dried blood, the pieces of flesh, all of it. I mean, he was in really bad shape when he gets to the top of Calvary. And it says that they tried to give him wine to sort of soothe him a little bit, and yet he didn't take it. Now, this is another picture that I... I think is really powerful. And that is this is if you want to circle it in your Bible, verse 24, or 15 is the moment. This is the moment that Jesus came for. If you've wondered why Jesus came, I mean, he has several purpose statements. You can study those. I can put a list up of all the um, on the website of the purpose statements of Christ. You can Google them or go over to blue letter Bible and look it up. He said himself, I came to preach, right? I came to give, to lay down my life. He tells his disciples, nobody takes my life from me. And it's actually that moment, that statement that he makes it his disciples. Look, I want to be clear about this. Nobody is taking my life from me. I'm laying it down. Now, I got to tell you, and again, I, I must credit my father with this. I remember him telling the story of he believed that Jesus, in his weakened state, did not require what other convicts would have required at this point in the process. Look, crucifixion was well known to be the most torturous, most painful way to die. That was well known. People didn't line up, people didn't agree, people didn't want to be crucified. This was awful. But this is why he came. So, Genesis 1, God enters into chaos, set things in order the way they ought to be, creates a perfect garden, makes creates Adam and Eve, places them in his perfect garden right? And gives them one rule, gives them a choice to trust and obey me or not. And you know, the story at the point at which sin enters the world, right? Things are no longer as they ought to be. And when sin comes in, there's the curse, there's the wrath of God and there's death, all of that because of sin. And so from the beginning From the beginning, before the foundations of the earth, Christ crucified. The lamb slain before the foundations of the world. This is why he came. This is why he came. And could it be, it doesn't say, but could it be that at this moment, when most convicts would have to be wrestled down on their cross, could it not be that Jesus got down? And stretched out his arms on Calvary and looked at the centurion and simply said, nail it, nail it. Because this is why he came. This was the moment that he came. He came to die. He lived to die. That's why he came. And I just wonder, in my imagination, at the point at which he stretches out his arms and he looks eye to eye with that soldier holding the mallet and the nail. I just wonder: did he just drop it and go, "Yeah, no, mm, no, I, somebody else is going to have to do this. I, I can't do that." What kind of moment would that have been to these big, burly soldiers? Maybe some of the same ones that mocked him. Maybe some of the same ones that scourged him. Maybe, I don't know. They've never seen that before. They've never seen somebody lay down of their own volition. They've never not had to wrestle someone to stretch out their arms. They've never had to not hold someone down to place the nails. But they didn't with Jesus because that is why. He came, and he stretched out his arms, and they crucified him. And then it says that they cast lots and divided up his clothes. They put the accusation over his head, the king of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, right? one on his right and one on his left. And again, in Isaiah 53, it refers to this. Jesus was, in the words of John the Baptist, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Remember the Passover Lamb of the Old Testament? Remember this? This is the fulfillment of all of this. All of that pointed to this moment. He is the perfect Lamb of God slain to pay the sin price, the death price, the guilt price, the innocent for the guilty, you and me, you and me. That's why he came. And he is crucified here between two guilty. These two robbers were guilty. The innocent with the guilty. They deserved their crucifixion. They earned it. Jesus took ours on. Yours, mine. Behold, John the Baptist said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin, singular meaning whole, all, The sin of the world, including your sins and my sins. That's what Jesus came to do. So you can continue and you can read the rest of 22 to 41. The soldiers crucified him. They divided up his clothes. The charge was king of the Jews. You've got the robbers guilty men. You've got passers by hurling more abuse as if it's not bad enough, right? I mean, he's hanging on the cross now. People are still abusing him verbally, right? The religious leaders are still mocking him. He's hanging on the cross. The robbers are even insulting him. And then at noon, it says darkness until 3 PM. And Jesus said, the only saying of Jesus. There are seven. So again, more homework. You can go back and study all seven. The only one of the seven included in Mark's gospel is the fourth one. When Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And if you dare to study that further, that's actually taken from the Old Testament. Psalms 22, you can lay that beside this, right? By Sanders, we're watching all of this. So you had bypassers just, you know, they're continuing on their way and just commenting while they continue on their way. And you've got people standing there watching. And when they hear Jesus say that, they're like, oh, he's calling down Elijah, get something for him to drink, see what's going to happen, right? And it says, Jesus let out a loud sound and breathed his last. And at the moment at which he died, the veil of the temple was torn in two, topped to bottom. His death gave us access to the Father. His death paid our sin price. The centurion who was standing nearby said, This truly was the Son of God. So here's a man standing there, witnessed the whole thing, right? Saw the whole thing. And at the point of which Jesus died, he was like, Whoa, I have witnessed something. That was not just any ordinary man. He was who he said he was. (gasps) Then it also lists the names of some women who were at a distance. Finishing out this chapter in verses 42 through 47, it says, Evening of the same, it was the evening of the day of preparation. Preparation, And now we have yet another person enter the picture. And this is interesting. I'm going to go through the list in just a minute. There's a very interesting list of people who are named in this chapter. And you'll remember one of the things we've looked at through the entire gospel is all of the unnamed people. Well, in this chapter, we have we've got a very interesting list of named people as well as a list of unnamed people. And we'll get to that in just a minute. But here is one of the named people, and that is Joseph of Arimathea. Says he was a prominent member of the council. He was actually a disciple of Jesus who was waiting for the kingdom of God. So we're talking somebody who is a believer. But don't miss this. Don't miss this. I'm going to look and see if I can see the exact verse for you. I did not note that in my notes. It says, let's see, in verse, Joseph of Arimathea, prominent member of the council waiting for the kingdom of God. Here it is. I love this phrase. Let's not miss this. It says he gathered up his courage and went in before Pilate. Oh, let's not miss this. Joseph of Arimathea was a man of standing. He was a respected member of the council. Now, where was he over in verse one? I don't know. Maybe he didn't get notification that they were having a meeting. Maybe he was there and didn't feel like he could do it. I don't know. I don't know where he was. But it says here he was a disciple of Jesus waiting for the kingdom of God. And it says here that he gathered up his courage and went in before Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Wow, he gathered up his courage. Are there not times when you and I need to gather up our courage to go in? That's that's what we see Joseph doing here. and And Pilate's like, wait just a minute, you want his body? Is he dead yet? And it says that Pilate wondered and he questioned the centurion and it was true that Jesus was dead. And again, the other Gospels give a fuller picture of that whole thing. But at the point at which Pilate understands Jesus to actually be dead, he grants Joseph of Arimathea the body of of Jesus. And it says that Joseph of Arimathea bought a linen cloth, took Jesus' body down, laid it in the tomb, and rolled the stone over the entrance. Don't miss these verbs. What did Joseph of Arimathea do? He gathered his courage. He went into Pilate. He asked for the body. He bought a linen cloth. He took Jesus' body. He laid it in the tomb, and he rolled a stone over. He was active. He was active. And the chapter finishes listing the women who actually saw where Jesus was laid. These women are sort of at a distance throughout chapter 15 watching what's happening. I cannot imagine being Mary, the mother of Jesus, witnessing what we've just talked about. But she was there with Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James. All of these women were together watching this. Now, I mentioned it a uh, A moment ago, it's interesting, the people who are named just in chapter 15. We have Pilate, Barabbas, Simon of Cyrene, Mary Magdalene, Joseph of Arimathea, James's mother, Mary, James's mom, and Salome. Just in 15, named. That's remarkable. I don't know that we've had another chapter that has had more named characters outside of the disciples than this chapter 15. And yet, listen to the list of the unnamed. The religious leaders go unnamed. The mob members, the two robbers, the passersby, the bystanders, the centurion, the soldiers. So here's the deal. Where are you? Where do you see yourself? In this chapter, are you Pilate in a position to do something? Are you questioning who Jesus is? Are you one of the soldiers mocking? Are you one of the bystanders? Are you Joseph of Arimathea taking care of the body? Are you one of the women at a distance? Where are you? Where are you? Even now, when it comes to thinking about and considering the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, where are you standing? What is your response? Are you, Pilate, just amazed like, my goodness? Are you making fun? Are you hurling accusations? Are you not sure? Where are you? Where are you? Who is this Jesus? Who is he? And why did he have to die? And how ought you and I respond? See here at the end of chapter 15, he is laid in the grave. He is laid in the grave. Sin, the price of sin, the curse, the wrath of God, and death have all been accomplished. And the body of Jesus Remember, the God-man, 100% God, 100% man, is laid in a tomb. And I don't think there's been a darker day. But this isn't the end of the story. We'll pick up next time in Mark 16. I'll see you then.
0: Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you have a question or comment, we invite you to send it to info at And while you're at Rachel's website, check out her wonderful resources, including the Word in Motion Bible curriculum. We want to take a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the podcast. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you'll find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network moms, more than ever, we really do need each other. We need to be challenged and we need accountability in the word. Thanks for joining us and we'll catch you in the next episode of The Real Refreshment Podcast.